What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna, that's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. And this is an episode for our Patreon subscribers. We love you guys. It's a small community, but I think it's growing, and we appreciate you. So here's an episode for you where we're going to get to some of your questions. Bill Juan in Mendota. Is that how you say it? Mendota, California? Mendoza? I think you said Mendota. I'm assuming it's in the Bay Area. Yeah, Mendota football. Oh, he says send a shout-out to Mendota football. So, shout-out to you guys helping those kids out. You know. Well, we can tell that Matt's not a football guy. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a football team. Yeah. No, it's a a good thing, though, coaching youth sports, you know. It, It does help kids out, gives them an outlet for their aggression and everything. Anyway, he says... Weed is out of control. You know, I think smoking a little bit of weed isn't that big a deal, but he's seeing that these kids at the school that he coaches at are like consistently smoking way too much weed. And I'm only assuming since it's been legalized, which I support, I think you do too, but it's becoming a lot worse. So what do you think about that? Yeah, when it comes to youth sports, youth in general and drug use you know it, it, look I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here because I'm not a hypocrite but also as a, as a person who's been through this I kind of see kind of a direct line on how this can get it's not going to affect everybody the same way you know just kids that are 18 years old 16 years old they have a beer and they don't turn into full blown alcoholics but there are some that do so when it comes to youth sports yeah, look, a lot of guys, I did it. I smoked pot when I was a kid. It was illegal then. Um, and yes, I know guys that smoked it. Uh, is it a good thing for medicinal reasons? Absolutely. Is it something that uh, every adult should have the option to do? Absolutely. Is it a crime you should put people in prison for? Absolutely not. But when it comes to youth, we're talking about kids. Yeah, I frown upon them using drugs because, in my opinion, pot kind of erases that mindset for guys. You start smoking a little pot, and they're not your son or not your daughter, but maybe he knows somebody that now, because he goes to buy weed illegally from some guy, and that guy has a brother who also sells meth. And sometimes 
happens, you kind of cross that line, and the guy gives you a smoke of some meth, or he gives you a few snorts. Some guys might say, hey, look, ah, yeah, I don't like that at all. He walks away from it. But there's that other kid that's easily influenced. He's just peer pressure. All these things that go on in this environment, which is being a teenager, and you start using meth. So, in my opinion, for kids to use weed and drugs, it kind of erases that, it erodes that mind that can lead to other things. A lot of people used to the 70s say that, well, pot creates heroin addicts. I don't think that's absolutely true, but there are instances where it does. It, it erases that or erodes that mind. So I, I, I suggest that as a, as a football coach, as a person who deals with youth and talks to them, you know, I think that the conversation should be open and the door for a coach should always be open for a kid who's having problems. And I don't mean the coach to call him an idiot. You stop doing this. That's not what I'm talking about. Talk to the guy. Really see what it is that's going on. If he needs counseling, get him counseling. If he doesn't want to go to counseling, he just wants to talk to you, leave that door open so the kid can talk to you. There's a lot of kids out there who just want to talk to somebody to maybe get some kind of affirmation that it's okay to say no. And it's okay to uh, not be the guys that are smoking pot or using whatever drugs. I think that's incredibly important, and I can't stress that more. If you're not the right person to talk to these kids, find somebody it is. That's the best advice I have there. I mean, at least weed, you can't die from it. It might ruin your life, or at least degrade your quality of life, but I'm shocked that I see people doing cocaine still. I've never been a drug guy. I don't get it, but fentanyl. Tom Petty dies from fentanyl. He wasn't doing cocaine, but he got a bad painkiller that had fentanyl. Michael K. Williams, the actor from The Wire, is trying to do some heroin. Bad idea, but dies from it being laced with fentanyl and over and over. There was a, a story that made the headlines uh, about a year ago where some comedians were at a house party and they did some cocaine and two of them almost died and one guy did die. And it's like, how quickly people forget. I mean, there's, I don't want to do it anyway, but knowing that that's out there, I don't understand how people in their right mind are possibly taking that risk. And I see people doing it all the time and it weirds me out. lines are eroded. They're chasing that high. They're chasing that feeling. Sometimes it's not just that they want it. These drugs create uh, a chemical in your system, L-dopa, uh, and, and, uh, and there's other chemicals that your body craves, like testosterone. If a person works out, the more a person works out, the more testosterone runs their system. And you see guys become junkies almost of adrenaline rushes. Cocaine and drugs of that sort, they produce a chemical adrenaline rush. So the person begins to chase it. That's why I'm always, you say, man, Bill, you're always working out. Well, it's because if there's this rush when I work out, it pumps these endorphins into my system. And I like it. Drugs do something very similar, and you have to be an extremely uh, strong individual to be able to walk away from them. So it's not a good thing. 
And there's also the fact that I remind people this all the time. You're dealing with drug dealers. They're trying to make a profit. So whatever they can cut that drug with to make more of it, so you come back, they're going to do it. It's like buying a hamburger from a bum. You don't know who's going to put that damn thing. But you're buying drugs from a drug in the streets that could be cutting it with fentanyl, with baby laxative, whatever you get his hands on, with basalt, for God's sakes. You're injecting this in your system, you're snorting it. Hey man, you're a freaking moron if you're doing that. You just don't understand the economics of drug sales by drug dealers. Yeah, and with weed, on that topic of weed, like... I do think it should be legal. I don't think it's a big deal if you, you know, like to smoke a joint when you get home from work. But I think it's underrated how much of a drug it is. Like when I grew up in Alaska, there's a lot of weed there, as you could imagine. I mean, I saw guys I knew doing knife hits and gravity bongs. A knife hit is when you get a butter knife and you like, melt weed onto it and snort it so it like explodes like i don't even get what it is but these guys were basically crackheads i mean they were abusing the drug in the biggest sense of the word and guess what they're still on it they still do it every day and it's not good for you and so i think there is a big difference between doing cocaine and heroin and doing weed but this californian bohemian mentality that weed isn't that big of a deal I think is wrong. And if you want to do it, I, I'm fine with you doing that, but don't claim that you're not a drug addict. Well, I mean, everything in moderation is, is look, one aspirin's good for you, a thousand will kill you. You have a drink after work with your wife or whatever, that's okay. But if you drink a bottle every day after work, it's not good. Moderation, moderation, moderation. Unfortunately today, weed, marijuana, cannabis, is a hundred times stronger than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was dirt weed. You got some, you know, shake or some freaking Buddha tie, you thought you were on top of the world, but it, it's considered dirt compared to the stuff they have now. So I think they should always take all those things into consideration. But in reference to the football coach and that, I just think that talking to a kid, being a role model for them, and just having an open conversation with kids goes a long way. It's not the perfect solution, but at least if you have that uh, dialogue going, that those lines of communication, you're probably going to be able to... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And I hear you. I mean, I've smoked shake before, and guess what? You can get high on it. So if you're getting high on that, now <laughs> imagine <laughs> something like literally a thousand times stronger is what people are smoking. It will put you out of your right mind. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I, I, I can just see you, man. I, I just, I got this mental picture of you long-haired guy sitting around smoking oregano thinking he's getting high and somebody walks up to you and says what the hell are you doing you're like hey man this stuff he's like no it's not the oregano you freaking what the hell's wrong with you <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah there, there's probably a placebo thing i i've always thought i'd like to have a a keg party and just have a bunch of non-alcoholic beer and i bet you people would have just as good a time because they would they would just think <laughs> they were getting a buzz. I would not doubt it. So our next question is from Nina. 
another Patreon subscriber. We appreciate you, Nina. And I think this is something a lot of listeners want to know, and I want to know, and I respect your boundaries and your privacy, but, and, and, and also just the legality of it. But can you give an update to everyone on where your case is at? Yeah, I think there are a lot of injustices in the whole story, which is not something I think you like to dwell on, which I understand, but it is pretty fucked up. Jessica and a couple other listeners have asked about your book called San Quentin Penitentiary of Horrors. Is it horror or horrors? Penitentiary of horror. Horror, right. I was informed by someone I don't know how to pronounce that word. I say horror, but, you know, I guess you're supposed to say horror. Anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> horror, you know what a horror is. Okay. Uh, so what's the status of that book? Because a lot of people were a little bit confused and that's on us when getting into listening to the show because at first it seemed like kind of a paranormal type show because you're telling all these really weird interesting stories about how creepy death row is and then 
I don't know. I guess we we kind of switch topics a little bit, which is fine. But anyway, she was just kind of wondering about the status of that book because a lot of people, those are the first episodes they hear when they start listening is about all these all these creepy Halloween type stories. Yeah, no, the, the, uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, you know, the book I wrote it um, a couple of years ago, and it is just actually been picked up by a literary agency who is now going to be shopping it to um, different uh, publishers. And I'm in negotiations with the publisher about it, as it is right now. So I'm hoping the book gets published very soon. I'm going to have another book coming out in 2023, uh, which is kind of hush-hush. I can't say too much about it, but it's going to be coming out. And Penitentiary um, Horror is a great book. It mixes true crime with paranormal activities here on death row, with everything that happens here. But this place is actually on a burial ground, and there's three cemeteries. And one of the cemeteries is actually right below death row. This place is extremely creepy. A lot of bad things happen here. There's been more tortures, executions, murders in this place than probably anywhere in the Western Hemisphere. The audience probably hears about the Winchester House and you know all these different small places, hotels or sale asylums. But none of them compare to St. Quentin State Prison. It's the state's oldest prison. It's been here since 1852. And there has been so many stories, so many hauntings, so many uh, paranormal uh, experiences and witnesses by people that I felt I had to write a book about it. That's exactly what I've done. And I will be more than happy to let you guys know as soon as it gets picked up and it is signed and we're going to be putting it out. So stay tuned. It should be coming pretty soon. Well, this is probably a good time to touch on this. And we guess we don't want to say too much, but in short, I am developing a TV show with some guys, a production company, not some guys, a very legitimate production company. And so you were talking to the serial killer and like, long story short, you kind of found some victims or at least through, through extracting this information from him, you got some clues. You then brought it to a private investigator all while behind bars. And the same company took you up on, on this as being a show. So we can't say too much about it, but it's interesting that our, our kind of uh, worlds collided a little bit on that, right? Yeah, man, you're, you're absolutely right. True crime is a very small world and you're absolutely correct that you know, some of the people you're speaking to the production company that you've spoken to are in in bed with have also um spoken to me and we are now in the, in the midst of producing a possibly producing a a television series based on this book that i've written as well as um some of these cold cases that we are in the process of solving and it's the first time it's ever been done on television um so i i advise the audience to stay tuned it's gonna hit the airways pretty soon um we're hoping sometime early early 2023 but it's gonna have your boys 
Matt Ralston and William Nogueira in the forefront, so stay tuned. Yeah, and dude, that's a show that I would watch. And I'm not like a huge true crime nerd, but I do watch that programming. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's it's like what I kind of gravitate to because it's compelling. And I think I should probably watch a little less of it and have like healthier, like goofier shows that I watch. But anyway, it's a huge audience and people do love it. Yeah, I mean, the true crime world is, is yeah, it's a lot of regurgitation. It's the same cases. It's, it's guesswork. Where what this particular, you know, theory is on this show that we're putting together is that we're actually going to be solving, not speculating, solving. At the end of the day, there will be a, uh, like a climactic moment where it becomes very apparent that we've solved the particular case. So that's, that's going to be big. That's all I can say about it. But I would definitely stay tuned for it. It's going to blow the true crime world on its side, and then we're going to kick it down the street like a can for the next two or four three blocks. Yeah, this has never been done before. It's insane. I mean, I am trying to promote you, but I'm just being honest. Like, this has never happened. You're a normal person who happens to be on death row, and you played a long game befriending this guy, in quotes, and got him to admit confidential information, and then you did something with it. And I, I just, I think it's awesome. I know that there's a... That's like the, the rule you don't break in prison, right? So so you are putting yourself out there a little bit. Did you struggle with that at all? Sure. I think about it all the time. There is that mindset that I have that I don't really return to normal prison behavior. This is the right thing to do. That, that's what it comes down to. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, it puts me in a very awkward, dangerous situation. But at some point, you know, I look, either I practice what I preach or I don't. I always tell you, I tell the audience all the time, if you see someone on the streets getting beat up, a child, a woman, whatever, another guy, if you just sit there and watch, you're a freaking coward. Either you do something about it or you don't. Are. I'm just practicing what I preach. So I'll leave it at that. I'm leave it at that. I'm not gonna talk anymore about it. People have to stay tuned, you know, to the media outlets and to the programming and to us letting people know what we're gonna do and how it's gonna happen. Look, it may never it, it may not happen, but we believe it's going to. So we'll let you guys know more about it later and I, I, I think that we should leave it at that because we're definitely under contract to keep our mouth shut about it and we're only supposed to give a little teaser and that's about all we can give up. Bill, Derek in Aurora, Colorado asks, you know, you see a lot of these serial killer stories and a lot of them take place during the 1970s and 80s. You know, people didn't have cell phones and I think they weren't aware of the problem as much. So is it easier now or harder? to find victims if you are 
one of these monsters. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And the obvious answer that you would think is, well, it's in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They don't have DNA. Um, there are no cell phones. You don't have cameras. There's not a camera in the street corner. There's a lot more people hitchhiking. It's more carefree. So that's kind of the obvious answer. But I would like to put a different spin on it. In my opinion, both times are equally as prime for serial killers to find victims. Today, instead of going to street corners or looking for street walkers or just randomly driving around looking for them, finding them and stalking them, the person, the serial killer, can do so from his desktop. He can sit at home on his computer, go on social media, find the victim he wants, find out everything that he would have to actually see the person in the 70s doing. He can look at it on social media, what the person likes to do, what they do on Wednesday nights. Do they go skating? Do they hang out at their friend's house? What routes they take home? All this stuff, a lot of people post this stuff online. So a serial killer can do all his reconnaissance on his computer. As far as victims, they're all over the place. Serial killers are experts at hunting. It doesn't matter if there's cameras everywhere. Sure, there are more chances for a camera to see you, for someone to see that has a particular camera, and it's not just guesswork. But look, we're, we're witnessing it right now in Sacramento. That guy has killed possibly seven people, there are cameras everywhere, and all they have a picture of is a shadow. So it really doesn't make a difference, does it? There's still seven people dead so far in county. So the answer is, it depends on the serial killer. If he knows social media, if he knows how to sway around these type of, uh, of techniques that are out there, this could be a prime time for him. As opposed to the 67, you have to actually drive around and actually watch the person stop. So there's arguments for both sides. Um, if you're savvy and you understand the social media circuits, I'm sure that they would have a very easy time doing it. You know, we, we talked about a, a serial killer that did it. The, the uh, Long Island killer, he was known as the Craigslist killer. He would go on Craigslist, hire these sex workers, and they would disappear. He's never been caught before. So there are ways to use today's technology to their advantage. So that's basically the answer, the short answer to a conversation that could take probably a few hours. Yeah, and we could read some, you know, communications papers, some, some uh, what do you call it, academic papers on this by McLuhan or Noam Chomsky or something. But I think the fact is that it takes people a little while to catch up to technology to to really understand how it impacts their lives because you just kind of take it for granted like oh all of a sudden I'm on the internet all day and I wasn't a, as a child you know and, and it's like a totally different lifestyle I guess I'm kind of rambling but my point is that I think it gives the advantage to the bad actors because we just haven't figured it out yet you know what I mean yeah, and we see guys that do that. What are they called when you um, when you get a girl at age 25, you never really date them, and you give them a picture, and you look like a 
Fabio, but you look like Quasimodo. How do they, what do they call that? Catfishing? Yeah. That's a very good example right there. A serial killer can put the, the face of a 15-year-old boy. And through technology, you some kind of, I don't know, some kind of voice-changing thing. And it, it's a little girl talking to you. But it's actually a serial killer pedophile. And he gets the gets in the peak of somewhere, maybe a wooded area or something. But this technology we use for bad people. And I believe, as we've spoken before, about these serial killers that I believe is a super serial killer, an over serial killer. And he's using all these techniques. If you haven't heard of him, we have been about 10 or 15 years, and people say, Jesus, was that guy Bill talking about that stuff on Death Row Diaries? Like, oh, shit, let's go back and look at those episodes. He may have been right. I am right. That's exactly what's going on right now. You haven't caught up to that guy. He's not going to get caught until he makes a mistake or he wants to get caught. So that's the big answer to that question. Well, I guess we'll leave it there for now. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Until then, well, until then, next time. Of course, I am Matt Carlson. And I'm going to go. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it.